with Pastor Scott again. And it, this has been an incredible summer, and we're coming to the end. This is Labor Day weekend, and I hope you're enjoying this time together. But you also have time to tune in and to watch as we look at the last psalm in the book of Psalms. We started with Psalm 1, talking about being the tree planted by the living waters. Now we're going to end the last psalm praising the one who's planted us like trees by the living water. So we, we book in the psalm with the declaration of Jesus, I'm yours, and then the praising for the fact that Jesus, I'm yours. This has been a great adventure we've been on. I know I've, I've grown uh, throughout this process through this summer. I looked at all these psalms, these 45 psalms we've covered this summer and just been amazed at how God has continually shown me his grace and his favor. And I pray you've experienced the same thing. Now, remember this, you can go back and watch anything you missed on demand at our website, fbcwimberly.com. You can go back and watch all this on demand. If you have trouble sleeping at night, go back and watch me preach. I'll put you right to sleep. It works every time. So I want you to enjoy this adventure we're on today. Now, we conclude this series with praise. How appropriate. But see, the church today is confused about worship. And we need to kind of dispel some of the worship myths. And I'm, you know, during this time of being online or being live, I've had people say to me, well, I just can't use my gifts unless I'm in front of people. Really? Really? I have to be in front of people to use my gifts. And I could have said that as a pastor. Unless I'm a preacher to a crowd of people, to a thousand people, I can't do my job. Well, that's just stupid and selfish. So it's all about the message of King Jesus getting out to people. And worship, we need to dissolve some of these thoughts, these misconceptions we have about worship. So I want to go through a list for you and talk about them real quick. So here's some misconceptions. First of all, it's not just about singing. This drives me crazy. In the church in the last 20 years, we call people who lead music worship pastors. Like the lead pastor is no longer a worshiper. He's a pontificator. And only you can worship when you're singing. Really? That's a, that's a theft of a word. That's taking music and elevate it to a place of idolatry. And God says, I have no gods before me, including your musical preference, whether it's traditional, whatever that means, 1950s or 1900s, or contemporary, which means anything written after 1990. Uh, it really, it just doesn't matter about that. It's not uh, just about singing. Now, singing is a form of worship. And around here, we use the arts to touch the heart. Music is a tool to help us focus on God because our worship is about God, not about you. It's not about your preference. So we have to look at our culture, say, what's going to connect the heart of our culture to the heart of God? So we want to use music that is culturally relevant with a pure message, and that's a tool used. Now, I'm going to say this, and you're probably going to shoot me, but one of the most famous Christian songs in the world is Amazing Grace, and it doesn't even mention Jesus. Huh. Think about the words. It's a great song, and we understand what it means, and I love to sing it, and I've sung it over and over, and when I sing it, I sing it to King Jesus. But music has a shelf life, and music should have an intentionality. Sometimes we sing songs that are just not appropriate, and it sounds like we're going to take Jesus to the prom. It's not about that. And music is just a tool of worship. You see, with God, there's no sec secular or sacred music. There's secular or sacred words but not music. God loves all kinds of musical styles. 
whether it's the two-string dombra in Kazakhstan, whether it's the drum beats in Africa, where it's the Latino-Cubano sound in Cuba, whether it's a contemporary band-centric driven sound or a organ, God loves it all. And so here with us, our philosophy is we use it all to touch the heart because it's about God and not about our preference. So it's not worship is not just done in a building. Boy, have we heard this throughout the pandemic. When are we going to get back to the building? When are we going to come back to church? Church has never been a building. It's always been a people. And you worship God together wherever you are. Whether it's two or three of you or 20,000 of you. Here's one thing I've discovered. The only people that like big church are pastors. (laughs) Nobody else really likes it. They prefer a smaller gathering, a smaller crowd. And we judge the effectiveness of churches by the number of people they attract. Really? Maybe it's about how we build people and how we love people. So worship is not just done to building. Listen to this. It is God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Paul said that in Acts 17 as he was talking to the people in, in Athens. So worship doesn't have to have a building. In fact, throughout Christendom, throughout the history of Christianity, there were no buildings for 300 years. 300 years. No buildings. They worship God in the synagogue, in the temple, on riverbanks, in catacombs, and wherever they could gather, they worshiped God together. So during this pandemic, our buildings have been shuttered, but the worship of God has gone forward. And many of you right there in your living room, worshiping God by saying, not just singing, but by praying, by listening, by growing, by being nourished spiritually, and then by living all for Jesus. That is worship. See, worship's not about my wants and my desires. It's not about me. It's about God. We have a consumer mindedness that we ought to be getting something when God says, no, 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 no. The heart of God to be like Jesus is that you give your life away. Not that you're getting, but you're giving. Giving of your time, your talents, and your resources. You see, my attitude is then contagious. If I have an attitude of selfishness, then I have a contagious, selfish spirit that spreads to others. If my attitude have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, even though he was God, did not equate equality with God to be something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took upon the form of a servant, even a bond servant, and became obedient even to death, death on the cross. That's contagious. That's how we're supposed to be. Servant-minded. You see, a mark of maturity is always measured by surrendering your preferences to the good of others. Hmm. Surrendering your preferences for the good of others. If I'm going to use the arts to touch the heart, that means I have to surrender what I want to speak to a culture that needs Jesus. Huh. So it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the mission of Jesus is to go in the world and preach the gospel and let people know about him and become like him. Worship is without obedience is not worship. It's not. It's just gathering. A few weeks ago, I talked about the difference between observers and followers. Gee, I think this happens in a lot of church gatherings. We have a lot of people observing Jesus, maybe studying Jesus, but not following Jesus. You see, following means a surrendered life. 
And a surrendered life is manifest in obeying what Jesus said to obey. Let me read. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who, does not, who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not just my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, I'm agreeing now with the Father because the Father and I are in perfect unity. In fact, we are one. If you're going to worship me, you're going to obey me. That means you love me and you love people. It's that simple. Huh. In the book of Samuel, there's uh, King Saul, who was an idiot. Sorry, Saul. He was an idiot. And Saul decided to pursue things on his own way. God gave him specific directions to destroy the Amalekites, but he didn't. And so, but then he made excuses and he profited himself. He took all their cattle and livestock and he had the king before him and did all these things. And then Samuel, the prophet, comes to Saul, the idiot king, and he says this to him. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices are your obedience to his voice. What's more pleasing to the Lord than the fact that you attended church every day, every Sunday for 45 years or obeying his voice? What's more pleasing to the Lord? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the fat of rams. So today we're going to look at Psalm 50, 150, and we're going to find the heart of worship as we conclude the heart of God, see the heart of God in the book of Psalm that we've soaked this summer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say through me this morning. And I, Lord, I have a feeling I might have just made some folks mad, and I pray that that's not true. I pray that conviction will lead them to listen, and listening will lead them to obeying, that we might have a focus and a heart of worship for you. So thank you for what you're going to say as we go through this psalm. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Again, I want to encourage you here on this Labor Day weekend. Next week, we launch our Joshua series. What a great time to start a group. You can gather a group in your home. You can gather a group on Zoom. You can start a group using the material we're going to provide for you, which will be a DVD of me teaching more things from the book of Joshua that we're covering on the weekend, a group time, and then we have Joshua journals, so you have a God time, God group and gatherings. That's kind of how we work. And that you can build people's lives. You can be a part of making a difference all for Jesus. You know, you're really not going to grow to be like Jesus until you start leading people to live all for Jesus. This is your opportunity. We have training available that's online as well, how to lead a group, how to make the ask, how to get people involved. And you can look from that from our new pastor, Pastor Tom Crick. He'll be sharing those things with you. So you can look forward to that as we launch this new series on the book of Joshua. But now let's right now turn our attention to Psalm 150 and see what God is saying to us in this season as we conclude the heart of God, seeing the heart of God. Here's the first thing. The focus of worship, as I said already, is God. It's not us. Listen to what the psalmist says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to to his excellent greatness. Praise the Lord. Worship is always about giving worth to God, and that is in praising him, giving him credit, giving him glory, giving him majesty, giving him power, saying that, God, I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to worship. 
Now, the, the writer here uses two forms of the name of God. He uses the name Elohim, which means the God of all creation, and he uses Jehovah, which is God of the covenant. The covenant. The co- what is the covenant? The covenant God made with the Hebrew children that he would bless the world with Messiah, and then, of course, Jesus, the new covenant, which is the blessing that draws us all in to the love and the presence and the power and the person of God indwelling us through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the God of the covenant, Jehovah God, and then Elohim, the God of all creation. He uses that. Covenant God and the inclusion of God. The Hebrews had many names for God. They called him El Roi, uh, Elohim, uh, El Raphael, El, El, um, well, a lot of Els and a lot of other Makadesh and others. And I could go through the names of God and we've done studies on that. But what's amazing about this, they understood that God was not simple but complex, but accessible in his complexity, which is amazing to me that he is worthy of our worship. I've been reading a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of the Holy. And reading that, I'm just like, how can we get our minds around the vastness of God? And they think, you can't. You can't. His ways are much higher. His knowledge is too great for us. But he's accessible to us through relationship with Jesus Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. When we say things like this, I didn't get anything out of worship, we're admitting we have a spiritual sickness. What? Well, I just didn't get anything out of today. You're admitting you're spiritually malnourished and spiritually malformed and spiritually have a malady. Wow. We can say we can't worship through a style of music. We're admitting our spiritual immaturity. Well, I just can't worship with that kind of music. Really? You're admitting your spiritual immaturity. Hmm. I thought about this a lot, and I realized that I manifest my immaturity by my preferences. I watch it with our little kids, how we struggle with to get them to eat this and eat that and do this and do that or obey this or obey that. And, and immaturity leads you to rebellion. So think through what you're focusing on as you worship. You see, worship is not about the worshiper, but the one to whom we worship. Now, unbelievers, they can't worship God. They don't know him. They can't worship him. But unbelievers can watch believers worship God and be inspired to know this God whom we worship. So no matter what the style, what the circumstance, what the location, your heart of adoration to God becomes contagious to a watching world who needs to know something deeper, something greater, and that something is someone, and his name is King Jesus. You see, true worship is always done in two ways, spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. What does that mean? The spirit of your heart toward God and the truth of his revelation through Scripture. Listen to what Jesus said. But the hour is coming and is here, it is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people who worship him. God, his spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. That's the, the submission to God and truth. That's the revelation of God through Scripture. The place of worship is the next thing the psalmist turns to. Where should worship be done? So worship, 
is done in heaven and on earth. Not necessarily in a building, but heaven and on earth. Listen to this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. The psalmist is saying everywhere we are should be a place of worship. A.W. Tozer, again, I'm going to quote him. He said, a person who is bored with worship surely is not prepared to spend eternity in heaven. Because heaven will be not a church service, but a praise, a continual praise and worship and adoration of a great and holy God. Because the place of worship. Now, it's very appropriate that we have designated places for specific specifically for worship. It's appropriate. We have a church building, but it's not a sanctuary. It's not a tabernacle. It's not a dwelling place of God. It's a dwelling place, a place we come for the intentionality of expressing ourselves to worship. Buildings are a tool. They're not a sacred place. They come and go. They turn into different things as they age. They become whatever, but they're gathering places and a tool. Throughout history, God's people have used different places to worship him. I mentioned that before. They moved. They adjusted. They went from a tabernacle to a temple, to houses, to open fields, to riverbanks, to graveyards, and then into church buildings. And these places were tools for expression. The focus was not on the place. It was on the purpose and the person of worship, which is King Jesus. It's not about a place. So can I worship God in my living room, sitting here, listening to Scott Weatherford teach on this? Yes, absolutely. Can you worship with your family? I would hope you would. Can you worship with your neighbors? Absolutely. Can you worship in a building? I would hope so, because it's not about the place, but about the purpose, the intent of, the intent of focusing on God and having a relationship with him that changes who you are. The heavens declare the glory of God, and that's worship. So it's in heaven and on earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, the psalmist said in Psalm 8, verse 1. So the theme of worship is always about God, his acts, and his attributes. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness, it says in verse 2. So we praise God as a declaration for all he's done. One of the things that I'm amazed about reading in the book of Revelation is that it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, that's the sacrifice of Jesus, and the testimony of the saints. The testimony means declaring the deeds that God has done. There's nothing more powerful in the world than your story of what Christ has done for you, in you, and through you. Declare his mighty deeds. The Hebrew children would declare the story of the exodus from Egypt because it was the revelation of God and his mighty deeds. They would continue to tell the story of God's deliverance throughout history because you declare his mighty deeds. And that's why we have testimonies about his mighty deeds. We brag on his excellent greatness, excellent greatness. We help people then live a life of surrender because we're focusing on his greatness. We're centered on the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's come to redeem sinners, which I am the chief, Paul said, and I'd give him a run for his money. And biblical truth, that preaching is central to our gatherings of worship, not music, not location, but the declaration of God and his greatness and his mighty deeds. And his mightiest deed 
is the gospel that he saved a wretch like me and like you. The style of worship is expression then. It's not tradition. It's not contemporary. It's expression in your heart. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Psalm 153 through 5. You see, God loves all forms of expressions. Now, I think when I dance, God probably doesn't love it that much. But God loves all forms of expression. Now, there's some people that teach that you shouldn't use any music, uh, any musical instruments. Well, right here it says you should. It says use all of these things to praise God. You see, there's not a biblical style of worship. And I hear people say this, well, our worship style is the most biblical style. No. The only biblical style of worship is focusing on the one who's worthy of worship, and that's King Jesus himself. Hmm. The result of worship always should be all for Jesus. I'm going to live my life for him. I'm going to recommit. I'm going to re-enlist. I'm going to rededicate. I'm going to sign back up. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to give my life to him. That's the focus, the result of worship. The psalmist ends like this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That everyone might Praise the Lord. Paul said it this way in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which your spiritual worship. Your worship is not the songs you sing, but the heart you give to the king. Oh. So it's not about my preference. No. It's not about my location. No. It's not about my songs. No, it's about Jesus, I'm yours. And because I'm yours, I'm going to live my life like you, all for you, until you come for me. That's worship. And I pray this helps. And if you're offended, I'm sorry. That's Canadian sorry. I'm not really sorry. But I hope this truth soaks into your heart and your soul that you might say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to shift my focus and I'm going to live all for you because that, my friend, is the heart of God for you to give yourself a heart that has the home of Christ in you. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for what you've said to us in your word this morning. And Father, I know the probably times that I've sound militant and even crazy and even draconian, but Lord, I don't mean that. What I mean is that I want these people that are listening to this talk to really reframe their life about worship and honoring you, that I'm connected with you, I'm growing to be like you, I'm serving you, and I'm sharing you because my life is a life of honor and of worship toward you, King Jesus, that Jesus, I'm yours, and I'm gonna live all my life for you. Father, I pray that the ones who who've never given them their lives. They've been observers, but they've not been followers. That today they'll make that decision to follow you and to give their life for you to you. That they can even pray right now, Jesus, I'm yours. Save me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. They can pray those prayers to you 
and find life in you. And Father, as I pray that as we sing, as we express, as we do those things, we'll remember it's all about you and not about us. It's not about our performance, Father. It's not about using our gifts, Father. It's about doing what you want done for your glory because it's all about you. And we pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. I hope this has helped. I love this summer in the Psalms. Go back and listen to what you missed and look forward to next week as we start a journey through Joshua to see what God wants us to see and to see what could be as we see through the eyes of faith, through the lens of Joshua. I love you, and I'll see you soon.